Hanukkah is upon us, beginning on the 25th day of the Hebrew month of Kislev and lasting for eight days. It can fall anywhere from the end of Thanksgiving weekend to Christmas Eve. While technically a minor holiday, Hanukkah has steadily grown in importance over the last century or so. Today, it occupies a cherished spot in the Jewish year. In this episode, we will discuss the origin of the holiday, the miracle of the oil, and Hanukkah's place in Jewish history. After the break, we will talk about Hanukkah customs and traditions, which are plentiful indeed. Let's get busy. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Hanukkah is known today as the Festival of Lights because it takes place in Kislev, which falls mainly in December when the days are shortest and darkest. This is why Judaism, Christianity, and other faiths, as well as Kwanzaa, emphasize light. In our darkest days, flooding our world with light shows that humanity can overcome the forces of nature for better or for worse. But the word Hanukkah means dedication, not lights. We must ask ourselves, what do we dedicate and why? This brings us to the Hanukkah story. Alexander the Great conquered the Persian province of Judah in the mid-fourth century before the common era without a fight. He walked into the Jerusalem temple, opened the curtain to behold the Holy of Holies, and was shocked to discover that there was no idol present. After learning why Jews do not erect idols, even to an emperor, Alexander allowed the Jews to live and pray as they wished. After his death in 323 BCE, three of Alexander's generals divided his vast empire, Antigonus in Greece, Seleucus in Damascus, and Ptolemy in Egypt. Judah originally was under the rule of Ptolemy, However, it soon passed into Seleucid control. This is where it gets interesting. The Seleucid king, Antiochus IV, called Epiphanes the Great, reigned in Damascus from 175 to 164 before the Common Era. Unlike his predecessors, he attempted to Hellenize the Jews in the land of Israel. To this end, he took control of the Jerusalem temple and had the effrontery to sacrifice a pig on the holy altar. Nothing could be more horrific. These harsh measures, which the Jews saw as persecutions, led to the Maccabean Revolt, beginning in about 168 BCE. To complicate the matter, the traditionalist Jews had been in conflict with the Hellenizers even before Antiochus IV seized the temple. Some scholars even say that Antiochus IV interfered in a civil war that was already raging, taking the side of the Hellenized Jews. Antiochus himself died of a mysterious illness in 164 BCE. The book of 2 Maccabees waxes eloquently about his horrendous death. Ostensibly an intestinal ailment, while at sea, led him to jumping into the water to relieve his pain, where he drowned. Even after his death, the battles continued. With some variations, the books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees, as well as Josephus, tell the story from the Jewish perspective, 
where the Maccabean revolt was seen not as an internal civil war with Greek meddling thrown in, but rather as a great battle for religious freedom. The established Jewish version of the Maccabean revolt is as follows. After Antiochus IV established Hellenistic Greek rituals on the temple grounds, he attempted to extend these changes to the more traditional countryside. When his soldiers came to the town of Modain, just west of Jerusalem, a Hellenized Jew came forward to offer a forbidden sacrifice. The Jew Mattathias of the priestly house of Hasmoneus killed this man and declared, as the story goes, whomever is for the Lord, follow me. Judah, the eldest of Mattathias's five sons, and called Judah Maccabee, the hammer, led the revolt, which began in 167 BCE. The Maccabees engaged in a form of guerrilla warfare, rarely confronting the more powerful Greek army directly. Eventually, the revolt succeeded, and Judah entered the temple in 164 BCE. When he entered the temple, he purified it and then rededicated the temple on the 25th of the Hebrew month of Kislev. As we noted earlier, the Hebrew word for dedication is Hanukkah. This answers our original question. Hanukkah is the festival of the dedication of the second temple. The revolt continued in fits and spurts until 141 BCE. Simon Maccabee, Judah's brother, finally expelled the Greeks from Judah and created an independent Jewish kingdom with overt assistance from both Sparta and the rising Roman Republic. Simon declared himself both king and high priest. To celebrate his ascent, he declared an eight-day festival, modeled after the festival of Sukkot, to begin on the 25th day of Kislev. This eight-day festival became the holiday of Hanukkah and is the only Jewish holiday to overlap two different months. While Simon had a right to declare himself the high priest, as he was of priestly descent, he had no right to declare himself king, even temporarily. In Judaism, a man could never be a descendant of both David, of the tribe of Judah, and simultaneously a descendant of the tribe of Levi, Aaron's tribe. Your father could not have had both David and Aaron as male ancestors. The priestly and Davidic lines flowed only through the father, unlike the traditional definition of a Jew, which states that a Jew is a Jew if his or her mother is Jewish. The more traditionalist elements amongst the Pharisees, who had emerged as a Jewish movement at this time, confronted Simon and his followers, the Sadducees, associated with the temple cult. In time, this conflict triggered a second civil war, ending with an agreement whereby the Sadducees, the wealthy priestly class, would retain control of the temple activities, but the Pharisees, who were the more populous faction, retained control of the emerging rabbinic Jewish movement and were able to tell the Sadducees how to conduct the sacrifices. Following this agreement, the Pharisees were able to control Jewish life, especially after the destruction of the temple in 70 CE. Yet, Sadducean corruption continued. In response to a conflict between dueling claimants for the high priesthood, the Roman general Pompey entered Jerusalem in 63 BCE and established Roman hegemony over the land. 
Later, the growing conflict between Rome and Jerusalem led to two major revolts, one that culminated in the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 CE, and then the abortive Bar Kokhba revolt in 124 CE, which effectively ended the Jewish presence in Jerusalem for centuries. After our break, we will discuss the wonderful customs associated with Hanukkah, the lighting of the candles, the dreidel, and lakas, for example. But before we do so, we must ask ourselves two more questions. What about the oil? And why do the rabbis of the Talmud actually hate this holiday? Let's answer the second question first. Actually, we have already answered it. We just have to write, ask the right question. In the Talmud and later rabbinic literature, the discussion of Hanukkah takes up a tiny part of the entire Talmudic corpus, perhaps a few paragraphs at most. Why? The answer is found in the story of Simon Maccabee. Since the Pharisees, the spiritual ancestors of the rabbis, were forced to go to war against Simon's corrupt descendants, they wanted to downplay his accomplishments, specifically his institution of the holiday of Hanukkah, the only major holiday on the Jewish calendar not found in the Bible. Also, the rabbis deliberately excluded the books of the Maccabees from the canon for this very reason. It proves the adage that the winners write history as the Pharisees were the surviving cult of the Jewish people. Now the first question, what about the oil? Every Jewish kid is taught that when the Maccabees entered the temple, they found only one jar of oil stamped with the seal of the high priest. Jews needed this oil to light the flame that the Torah commands must be kept burning at all times. Unfortunately, there is only enough oil to last one day. The Maccabees sent messengers throughout the land to find appropriate oil, but it took eight days to find it. The miracle of Hanukkah is that this one cruise of oil burned for eight days and nights. This story, found in a later ancillary rabbinic text, has become the normative story of Hanukkah. We still tell it to our children, but frankly, it never happened. Let's take a break and then talk about Hanukkah customs. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Before we return to our discussion of Hanukkah, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember to review and rate this episode on Apple, Spotify, or whatever service you are using. And I'm pleased to announce that we are now on Facebook Podcasts with a weekly Facebook Live recording session most Thursday mornings. You can get an advanced peek at next week's episode, unedited and with unintended commentary. Just go to the Torah for Christians Facebook page and start watching. Also, please go back and listen to previous episodes if you have not done so already. We have covered a lot of material so far, and I look forward to what is to come. Hanukkah is really a fun holiday. It's both joyous and home-based. While there are certain prayer requirements, most of the activity takes place with family and friends at home, which is often adorned with special Hanukkah decorations. There are special foods and songs, 
a nightly candle lighting ritual, the playing of games, and the giving of gifts and money. Let's start with the candles. We use a special candelabrum that is nine holders for either candles or oil. It's called a menorah, or more appropriately, a Hanukkah, a special Hanukkah menorah or candelabrum. One space, usually either elevated or off to the side, is for a candle called the shamash, the helper candle. We light the shamash and use it to light the other candles. On the first night of Hanukkah, we light the shamash and one candle. On the second night, the shamash and two candles and so on. Until we come to the eighth night, when we light the shamash and all eight candles. Each night, we recite special blessings and often sing a special song, Ma'o Tsur, which is translated as Rock of Ages, but is most definitely not the beautiful Christian hymn. The Jewish Rock of Ages tells of the great Maccabean victory, as well as the underlying themes of freedom and ultimate redemption. After the candle lighting, many families exchange presents. Historically, children would receive a few coins each night, called in Yiddish, gelt. Today, gelt are usually chocolate coins. And yes, we still give them out, especially because they are chocolate. But due to the influence of Christmas, which as you know, occurs during the same season, American Jews often give kids and each other presents on each night of the holiday. That does not necessarily mean that parents buy each kid eight different presents. Rather, it means that the kids get a present each night, perhaps from a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, or even from each other. Each family has its own traditions. There is also a purpose to the gelt. In the yeshivas, the Jewish schools of learning that dotted the European Jewish world and still exist in the United States, Israel, and elsewhere, the boys will gamble their coins on Hanukkah by playing, playing a game of dreidel. The dreidel, a spinning top, has four sides. Each side has one of four Hebrew letters embedded on it. A nun, N, gimel, G, hey, H, or shin, SH. These four letters represent the Hebrew phrase, Nes Gadol Hayasham, a great miracle happened there, which refers to the supposed miracle of the oil. Depending upon which letter the dreidel lands on, one either tosses a coin into the pot, takes half or the entire pot, or gets nothing. In Israel, the game is slightly different. There, the dreidel is called in Hebrew a sevivon, a spinner. And the shin, which stands for sham, there, is replaced with a pay, a P sound, standing for po, here. A great miracle happened here. Finally, Hanukkah comes with its own special foods. Hanukkah foods are fried in oil to recall the miracle. Our Eastern European ancestors would fry potato pancakes, latkes, in oil. This enduring custom continues to the present day, when Jews of all ages look forward to eating latkes, often topped with applesauce and perhaps sour cream. Israelis, though, have adopted the jelly donut as their fried food of choice. But Jews worldwide, including in Israel and the United States, have decided, why not have both? We now have latkes as part of our meal, 
often with fried or baked chicken or even brisket, and then sufgani oat, jelly donuts for dessert. Or if one keeps kosher, there are many Middle Eastern Sephardic Jewish recipes for donuts that are dairy-free, such as bumuelos. Trying these foods only enhances the celebration of the holiday. Historically, Hanukkah was a minor festival in the calendar, but today it has certainly increased in importance. This is due both to the influence of Christmas, which we will discuss in an upcoming podcast, and the revival of Hanukkah as a nationalist holiday in Israel. The Hasmonean kingdom, for all its flaws and corruption, was the last independent Jewish state in the land of Israel until the modern state was founded in 1948. There, Hanukkah emphasizes Jewish nationalism and independence, especially in light of the Holocaust. Emulating the Maccabees, Israelis now celebrate the Maccabiah run during Hanukkah, similar to a marathon in the United States, and they founded the Maccabean Games, a worldwide Jewish Olympics, which happens every four years. Finally, almost every Jewish summer camp features its own version of, of a Maccabiah, a team-based, multi-day event focused on athletics, spirit, and team building. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. Please remember to rate and review this and previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, or other streaming services. You can also like and hear us on Facebook. Next week, we will begin our discussion of first century Judaism. It's essential that we spend some time here. This is the basis for understanding both the early church and the relationship between Hanukkah and Christmas. Stay tuned. Have a wonderful week, and remember, Behold, and how pleasant it is for us to live together as one. Till we meet again. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Happy Hanukkah.